politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Ageless. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM KPFK for all of Southern California and, of course, live streaming on the Internet at kpfk.org. The Mystery School is a radio show heard every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock about consciousness. There is an innate intelligence that is embedded in consciousness. There is also a set of exalted ethics or values that goes with developing so-called higher consciousness or expanded awareness. And that's what we explore every week. And I've got a really good guest for you today, Carolyn Mace. And she's got uh, a number of very popular books on the subject. She's well-known. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation today. And uh, we're going to do a, an overview of what does it mean to develop your consciousness or expand your awareness. We're going to talk about who we are as the identity that we presume, the, the stories that we tell ourselves, the attitudes that we adopt in an attempt to invent a personality, something we can hold on to. So great is our fear, by and large, of not being someone of significance. We have that coming up for you in the uh, second and third segments of our show today. Uh, I need to talk about war at the top of the program, just because uh, it is so with us. And if global warming hasn't awakened you to the peril that we share with every other person on the planet, if uh, COVID didn't teach you the lesson that all of humanity and every corner of the earth is part of one body, and now we have a rogue nuclear power that's bent on a slaughter Fascism is not a, a type of government. Fascism is a movement to install autocracy, a despotic, authoritarian, totalitarian rule. And so clearly, we need to oppose fascism. But secondly, we need to oppose war altogether. In other words, when we fight fascism in the 21st century, it can't be with violence. It has to be a nonviolent approach to winning war, to defeating fascism, a war for the hearts and minds, for the souls of human beings everywhere. I'm sure you understand, or if you don't, you need to understand that Pacifica, the group that owns KPFK here in Los Angeles, was founded after World War II as a band-the-bomb radio station or a group of radio stations. 
uh, Pacific means peaceful, right? Pacifica, we always have been an anti-war radio station. Uh, before Vietnam, before Korea, before we were overthrowing democracies in Central and South America and installing dictatorships, this radio station and its sister stations in Berkeley, New York, Washington, D.C., and Houston have always been anti-war, social justice radio stations uh, supporting democracy. And so this is nothing new for KPFK to oppose war altogether, not just this war or that war, the horror of war in Europe, which we're now having to deal with, the genocide, the slaughter, the, the war crimes. We have to remember that we saw this same thing in Iraq, the shock and awe of Rumsfeld, Cheney, and Bush going into Iraq. The difference is news people, American journalists, and European journalists are now interviewing the citizens, the victims of this war. You didn't see that in Iraq or Afghanistan. And if you're old enough to remember, there wasn't much of that at all from Vietnam or Korea. It was simply a good guy, bad guy kind of a situation. But uh, we still have good guys and bad guys, but... Now the good guys, so to speak, the good Russians that live in Ukraine are being interviewed. And we're seeing these films and hearing the stories and freaking out that Russia is so reckless that it would attack a nuclear power plant, which if one melted down like Chernobyl or Fukushima could be the end of Europe. But Putin also has nukes. Just 5% of the nukes that are currently on the face of the earth would be sufficient to start a nuclear winter. We go from uh, global warming to nuclear winter, out of the frying pan and into the freezer, and no food, right? And so there's a number of scenarios where we're facing the extinction of humanity from the face of the earth. And it's always the same thing. It's a self-centered lust for money and power. Sometimes I wonder if Putin was uh, six foot tall, if he would be as despotic he is. He's clearly suffering from, among other things, a Napoleonic uh, uh, complex about being such a little guy. So we're sickened by what's happening in Ukraine. You should be equally sickened by war itself that the United States has combat troops in 150 nations and squanders three-quarters of a trillion dollars every year, not defending America, but projecting our influence overseas, you know, as if policemen of the world and all of that. There are reasons for that. Uh, war is exceedingly profitable. Uh, whether you win or lose doesn't matter. Blowing things up, rebuilding them, and blowing them up again, and building the equipment to do that, and then repairing and replacing that equipment is exceedingly profitable. So there's also the capitalism side of all of this, war is a scam. So my appeal to you is to oppose 
not only the fascism that we're seeing demonstrated out of Russia, but all war. And how do you do that? By developing consciousness. By first of all, refusing to be a fascist in your daily life and affairs. Don't act like the people that upset you the most. Learn to manage your anger. Learn to eliminate uh, hostility and defensiveness and contempt. Release it. Become a kind, gentle, loving person. That's where you begin to end all war, is by being the peace that you wish to see in the world. It's not just some hippy-dippy phrase. You have to be that kind of person. Then you move to people that you know. And I would like to suggest that you find one person in your personal sphere of influence who was a Trump voter or who is reactionary and work with them, share with them your process. Say, I know how you feel. I, I, you know, I used to be just like that. I was a real smart aleck, a real know-it-all. I gave it up. At least I'm doing my best to give it up. Who are you defending? Why do you believe it needs a defense? So you have to, first of all, grow yourself and understand your better side, your better angels, so to speak. And then just work with one other person. And as you make headway, go to a second person, maybe someone in your, your family or a close friend. And using questions and approaching them diplomatically, not with just a standard argument, see if you can aid in their transformation from a hostile, reactive animal nature to a more divine nature. And then, thirdly, and here's the commercial you've been waiting for. <laughs> here's the plug. You've got to support a radio station like KPFK. If you want us to continue to exist commercial-free, there's no free lunch, right? There's no free ride. Who is paying for the 100,000 watts we're blasting off Mount Wilson every day? You and your friends, people like you who feel the way you do. Are you a member of the KPFK family? Have you got... Ten or I don't mean to embarrass you, but come on, 10 bucks a month, $20 a month, do you think you'd miss that? To keep us commercial-free, free of, of corporate influence, of how many corporations are even left? 30 or 40 corporations? Pretty much it, right? All your food comes from five corporations. It may have a bunch of different names. It's just a handful of corporations. If a startup comes along, remember Free Enterprise back in the day? If you try to start your own business and you do it really well, your goal is probably to sell to a big corporation. Bang. There goes supply and demand. That can't work if a handful of corporations, some quasi-monopoly or cartel, controls the supply right? Look at gas prices. What's that about? The Seven Sisters, energy companies, just a handful of them. We need your support. I need you to call right now, 818-985-5735, and make a pledge or a donation. There are some nice premiums you can ask about or go online to kpfk.org slash donate or just kpfk.org and poke around You'll, you'll find what you're looking for with very easily. It's all right there. I, I, you know, 
I'm a big fan of Sustainer Circle. I say go to Sustainer Circle and instead of an annual donation, set it up for every month. $15, $20, $25 a month. It's all at the end of the year. You've got a nice tax deduction and you just set it and forget it. And now you're supporting free speech, progressive, pro-democracy, anti-fascist, and anti-war, anti-all-war radio. And what's more just than that? No justice, no peace, right? Well, how about peace through justice? Not peace through strength. What nonsense. What BS. What a crock. Peace through strength. That means more war. Peace through justice. That's what this radio station is about and why we deserve, why we merit your support and your help. Come on, you're not even going to miss it. Ten bucks a month? Yeah. If you're a student, if you're a senior... You can manage that, I'll bet. $5 a month. Come on. I'm going to remove all excuses. You can't argue that you're going to miss 5 or $10 a month. If you've got a job, $20, $25 a month. That's not a lot of money. You're not going out to dinner anyway. You've got the extra money. And what better place to plant seeds to, to address directly the frustration of, I'd like to change the world, but what can I do? You can support KPFK and the more than 100 different progressive radio shows that are broadcast on this channel, 90.7 FM, every single week. KPFK.org. Go there right now. www.kpfk.org. And make your donation, make your contribution, at least make a pledge, and then fulfill your pledge, okay? All right, Carolyn Mace coming up, I guess, today. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Benner, and this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 KPFK in Los Angeles. And welcome to the Ageless Wisdom on 90.7 KPFK in Los Angeles. We're heard from Santa Barbara to San Diego, and then some. And, of course, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. The Mystery School is a show about consciousness, and today I'm really excited to have a guest who, gosh, has a number of best-selling books, and she's no stranger, I don't think, to this audience. I followed her work for years, although this is the first time that I've had a chance to talk to her on the radio. And we're just going to jump into this whole field of consciousness, of spirituality, of the exalted ethics that appear to go with the development of consciousness. And we'll probably talk about energy and spirit and health and what it means to be a medical intuitive. But let's start with a 30,000-foot view. And before that, let me introduce my guest, Carolyn Ace. Carolyn, good afternoon. Hey, Michael. Nice to be with you. I'd love to begin with a backstory, because as much as I know about you, I don't know how you first became interested in this whole field. Was it your discovery that you were a medical intuitive, or what really captured your interest? Actually, I found my way into the field because of... um, my friendship with Dr. Norm Sheely, who's a neurosurgeon from Harvard. And he had, at the time I met him, which was in 1984, 
we met at a conference in a really extraordinary conference in, in Kansas. And I had started doing readings. I was a publisher in New Hampshire at the time. And I started doing readings. Um, I guess I, I just, I started, it was like uh, testing a skill that I had, but I really wasn't interested in pursuing because I didn't even know what medical intuition was. I, I, did, I, I, I wasn't, I had no interest. I can't explain to you how little interest I had. What drew me into it was the human connection of people saying, I don't feel well when they would come to the publishing company and I just could sense something. So when I was at this conference, someone said to me, there's Dr. Norm Sheely and he has an interest in people who are medically clairvoyant. That was the word that they used. So I approached him and I said, you know, I think I might, I might be able to do that. And he said, how good are you? And I said, I don't know. And he said, can you see an illness at a distance? I said, I don't know, because I mean, I just don't know. And he said, well, I'll call you sometime. And so about two weeks later, I received a call from him and I was in my office in New Hampshire and he was in his clinic in Springfield. He had a patient in his office. And he said, how do you want to do this? I said, Dr. Sheely, I said, I don't know because I've never done this before. I said, just give me the person's name and age. And boom, I started to get impressions. And impressions were like, if I said to you, Michael, I want you to think about your living room right now. And you don't actually see your living room. You have vague etheric images that form what we call memories or imagery. And what that's what a medical intuitive reading was like for me is that your very familiar images came to me and I knew they weren't mine. And they're not mine because I, I had no feeling about them whatsoever. They were just rapid fire images. And they translated to me into how this person was feeling and where they were losing power in their body. So in the beginning, um, Norm became really a kind of professor of medicine for me because he would say, at first I said, the, this first patient, I said, his throat feels like it's full of concrete to me. And the man had esophageal cancer. And so little by little, I became more specific. And eventually I started to wonder, why do people get sick? I mean, beyond the obvious, what's the more subtle reasons? And that's when I realized that the fundamental ingredient of the human experience is power. That everything, everything in, in life is a power negotiation. The power of the life force and how we distribute that with our attitudes, our choices, our um, use of the laws of creation. And so that's when I became really fascinated with this skill and with the nature of creation and co-creation and the subtle world of power. And, and that's when I actually started a deeper mystical life when I realized, in fact, that God was law, that that was the nature of God, that God is built into all the laws of life, the laws of nature, the laws of our bio biology. That to me now, I approach everything from this um, cosmic theological viewpoint that, that this is an era of the emerging bio-spiritual ecology, that in fact, it's the end of off-planet God imagery.
and the beginning of an ecology in which co-creation and the understanding of our power as agents of change and the power of choice, which is woven into what happens to our personal biology, what happens to our collective ecology, is really one and the same thing. <laughs> you just used a phrase I've never heard before. I know exactly what you mean, and I want to pursue it. Off-planet God. How did, how did you finish that phrase? Off-planet God. Mythologies. Mythology. What a beautiful phrase. You're talking about monotheism mm -hmm. as opposed to monism, the idea that the creator lives outside its creation and has pretty much abandoned us here. That leads to a lot of alienation and sense of separation and anxiety and fear. And, and is that, <laughs> isn't that part of the problem? I don't think that's a conscious fear at all. Not at all. I mean, the idea that we've been abandoned by the creator. Oh, ah, nobody thinks that way. If they well, think that's, but, but, but that's what we're left with. That's what organized religion is saying, is that if you look in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, there he is reaching out from someplace else. Well, I think that there was, um, it's not abandonment, it's distance. It's distance that needs to be, closed by the journey of the spirit and eventually by death itself so that this off-planet god is unreachable while you are on the planet except through um abandoning the planet yourself it's not god that abandons you but if you look into theologies it's that you must abandon many ways of the planet so that your spirit is what is released within you. I mean, so it's what Buddha says, find, look at things and see, you know, through the illusions of life. But if, if, if somebody were to understand life as this journey of power, the management of your power, that every choice you make, every attitude you have is really an execution of creation. It's an act of creation. You set energy into motion. And into an act of, no matter what, even in the privacy of yourself, when you make a judgment of someone, that is an act of creation. You are directing part of your life force into a negative thought toward another human being. And that has consequences. It doesn't matter that you can't see those consequences. They blend into the collective. And we're, we're, we do not think in terms of the calculations of energy and, and ourselves as energetic beings. We don't know how to weigh and measure and see and calculate the impact of a thought. We have no, we, we, we're unable to do that. And yet that's the power sphere. Well, whether God, the absolute, the creative force behind all things is above and free of form or everywhere equally present, we are, by all accounts, extensions or fragments or in the image of, and I think that's what I'm hearing you say, that similarly, we have some fragment of this power to manifest and refine, to heal. We've had mystics and quantum scientists on this show 
all saying pretty much the same thing, that uh, our attitude, our attention, our intention not only changes us, but changes what we perceive. How do you describe that? How do you speak well, I would about say that? That, that's, that that is absolutely accurate, but you have to take it a step further. If that's the case, then what does that say about how a person should recognize the nature of their power? That if, in fact, each of us is channeling an extraordinary amount of life force and power, how then should we treat this life force and power. It should really be seen as a sacred substance. And if so, how we use that substance has to be done with great discernment. And how we direct our power has to be done with great discernment. And we have to recognize the truth of these great mystical teachings that say what is in one is in the whole. What you do to one person, you do to everybody. That in Buddha language, it's an illusion that you are an individual. You are part of a whole. You're a molecule. You're a grain of sand on a huge beach. You and and it is a mistake to think you're the ocean. And so we do not understand the substance of which we are made at all. And I think that's the whole crisis of the nature of the ego. It longs to be recognized and and to be noted for being special and it longs to separate from the whole and nothing is more detrimental to your health than the cell tissue in your body that decides it wants to be different and that's how it becomes a cancer cell. The harmony in your body is maintained when all the cells work as one, as one healthy system. It's the rogue cells longing to be recognized that cause the trouble. (laughs) Again, uh, this this information is not unfamiliar to me, but I love the way you choose your words and your particular take on things. That's so wonderfully well said. When you talk about power, Carolyn, let's uh, let's break this down a little bit. The power, we often hear people talk about willpower, and then others say, no, imagination is more powerful than willpower. But of course, love is a power our emotional nature has extraordinary power that may be the portal to spirituality uh, the emotional feeling nature uh spirit of course we think of as being very powerful what do you mean when you use in this context the word power i mean everything Oh, <laughs> all of that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like from mist to ice and everything in between, rain, everything. It's all the same thing. There's only one force, and it has a billion trillion manifestations, but it's only one. Yeah, I like the phrase. I don't know who gets credit for it, since there really is nothing new under the sun, but. The idea that the universe only says yes, that uh, like fertile ground, whatever seed you drop into it, it's gonna it's gonna grow that seed if the conditions are right, whether it's something desirable or something you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about negative thinking a little bit because when we are not goal oriented or clear in our objectives and desired results, 
I think a lot of us tend to obsess on avoiding what we don't want and then unconsciously end up creating that. Uh, Can you speak to that trap, that problem of needing to recognize that avoiding what you don't want is not the same as a goal or an objective? Well, first of all, I'm going to back up and say the bigger issue is how many people actually know what they do want. That's, I mean, what you're asking is irrelevant to me. It's actually the greater question is, what is it that you want? Most people can't answer that at all. What is it you, you, that life, what is it that makes you happy? What is it that are your values? What is it that you want? What directs you? Well, don't you think what most people want is to avoid what they don't want? Oh, God, no. Oh, I do. I think people are so riddled with, and this is a broad brush in general. Well, let me think about that. You know, we're so riddled with stress and anxiety and trying to avoid this and, and dodge that that I think our attention is on the very thing we wish to avoid. And, and the trap then is we tend to manifest that which we're trying to avoid. I think what, what drives so many people, Michael, is the fear of being humiliated. And so how they navigate their life and their choices is to make the choices that they think will protect them the most. Will protect them the most. The survival instinct is so strong. And those choices of self-protection may or may not be what you want to do, but it is oftentimes in your mind what you think you should do or what you have to do because you're so afraid of being raped or so afraid of being humiliated. So I think that the primal motivation of fear and rejection and humiliation weighs quite dominantly in the thinking of a lot of people. So that if you ask them what do they really want in life, what is it they really want? In my experience, which is pretty vast now, I find that most people can never answer that question in an actual sentence. They simply give me a word. They'll say happiness. They'll say some vague nonsense like that. They can't even say it in a sentence because they don't, they don't, they, they don't, they're so unable to articulate the deepest quest that is alive in them because that quest of life is an active agent in the soul. It's not a target. When, when you say, you know, what does someone want? They think it's something outside of themselves. Well, do I want this job? Do I want this house? Do I want this car? They think it's got to be an object that they want. When in fact, what drives people inside is to get to a place where they're not afraid to follow their inner guidance, where they're not afraid to be fully who they are and, not to, and to discover what it means to be fully who they are, where they're not afraid to love fully, without, where they're not afraid to support another person and empower them, which for most people is the most threatening thing in the world is to empower, to give power to another person. 
That for most people is the most terrifying thing in the world. They hold that back. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They're they're fast to criticize, very slow to enforce and endorse and empower another. But to be free and to really think that I am free to love, and love means to to let my instincts go and tell me what to do to help another person, to tell me how how can I use my skills to empower this human being instead of disempower them, instead of being afraid to look at another person and think, oh, they have so much more talent than me. They have so much more this. Instead of looking through that lens of fear, which is what every human being wants really to have ripped out of them so they could look through the lens of what is it I have that I can give to you that would enhance your life? What a different way to look at life. What else can I give? But that's not the lens people use, is it, Michael? It's always, oh, geez, what do they think of me? And and, and this cautionary nonsense and this, I'm afraid to empower them because they might just get win the race more. That's the lens people really want ripped out of them. I agree with you for sure that uh, the primary reason people don't have what they want is that they don't know what they want. And I, I think my sense of it is because they're, so busy asking themselves, what should I do? What am I supposed to do now? Hey, Joe, what do you think I should do? Well, I don't know what to do. And so if we move toward vague, hazy goals, we get vague, hazy results and wonder what we're, <laughs> wonder what we're doing wrong. My guest is Carolyn Mace, and we're talking about the whole field of spirituality and mysticism, of identity. How about that? Who are you? What are you for? These are the big questions that need to be addressed. And we're going to take a short break and follow up on this very thread. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. My guest in the Mystery School today on KPFK is Carolyn Mace. You know her books. She's a best-selling author, half a dozen really significant books, she also speaks and teaches uh, online now due to COVID. And uh, at the end of the show, we'll give Carolyn an opportunity to let you know how you can find out more about her. Uh, Carolyn, this this uh, area that we were focused on just before the break, the idea of shifting from being self-centered to wanting to be of service to other people, to help other people, to recognize that while we live in a world of apparently separated forms and we feel alienated, and I used the word abandoned before, but just separated, that everything is distinct. And so, not surprisingly, we've created a you-or-me world Shifting to a you and me world, or even better said, to set aside our concerns about the self at a certain point, obviously, like the air mask allegory we always hear about, you got to put your air mask on before you can help other people in the airplane. But nevertheless, this idea of, uh, well, I'll say it this way, what, what I, I can't imagine more pleasure than giving something of value to someone else, even if it's just a few kind words or some patience or deep listening. It's so gratifying. What do you think it takes for us to 
realize that that's more important than selfishness or just being self-centered? Well, it's a journey for every person to make, Michael. There's not, when you say, what does it take? It's going to take every single person in his or her own way to uh, make that realization, but the blockades to that realization are thought forms that are really titanium in strength in their negativity. Like the idea that we were born for something special, what utter nonsense. And we have a disdain, an absolute disdain for the ordinary. I mean, people name their kids things like sunshine, meditation, karma, because they can't bear to give them a name like Tommy, because it's just so ordinary. And somehow people think that by doing things that they consider extraordinary, other than ordinary, what they're actually trying to do is outwit the nature of change. Because they don't want change to happen to them that is out of the ordinary in a negative way. They want that to happen to just ordinary people. But if you're extraordinary, you are above the law. Because that's what extraordinary people think. They think they're above the laws, whether it's the laws of nature or the laws of a civil society. The idea of stepping outside of the whole means I am now above the law. That's why lawmakers don't follow laws. That's why they're always breaking the laws because they think they don't have to. I make the laws so I can break the laws. That's why people who think they're extraordinary think they're privileged. I don't have to wait in line. I don't have to because I'm extraordinary. Only ordinary people do that. So it has all to do with laws, with, with, with the nature of privilege and the idea of in order for me to be privileged, I have to seek out something special because the, it gives me the power to not be ordinary and not be subject to what happens to ordinary people. And that's what people will say things when they get sick. I can't believe this happened to me. Why? Well, because I was doing all these extraordinary things and eating these extraordinary foods and, and doing these extraordinary rituals and, and something ordinary happened to me. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. When I was a young man, I had a friend who, for the most part, I liked. He was very charming and affable, yet I knew there was something peculiar about him. Something was off. And one day we went to an event where we had to stand in line and he could not tolerate yet he had to leave he had to leave and then come back and i hit the books and tried to figure out what that was and i realized he's a narcissist what you're describing it sounds like our whole society is moving toward narcissism and the love of narcissism and others who are narcissists well, what you've tapped on is something much bigger than can be explained simply. But I think that the inner self, which is a kind of a hybrid ego of our time, you know, my mother and father didn't say, look, I have to talk to my inner self, see what I'm going to do here. I mean, that, that wouldn't have existed. But we have developed this hybrid inner self. That's kind of an inner transport system. It takes us down into our feelings and then we can report up. And the inner self can speak more directly and more 
quote, honestly, than whatever other part of you does the speaking. So you get to say, I know I said this, but then I got it on the inner. And my inner said, I really shouldn't do this. And then everyone says, oh, well, if it's from your inner self, it must be guidance of some kind of specialness. So you see the inner self has established, has this new kind of curious best friend that is the one that says, nope, I need my space, right? Right? Yes, the inner self says I need my space. And and it gets to speak up with this whole list of needs. Well, I need my space and I need this and I need this diet. And what else do I need? I can have anything I want because I'm the inner self, right? This to me, this whole evolution of this nonsensical inner self and the power that it's given people is for me actually a stage of development that we we are meant to go through to discover exactly how powerful everything we do really is and everything we do really says. And we have to move through this stage of me, me, me. And, oh, you said the wrong word to me and you have to explain that, a word. And how weak you are in that stage because you think you're so special in that stage. And that, that you, I said to my, my students, I want you to do a book and it's a rule book of what everyone needs to know who gets to know you, what all your needs are, what tone of voice you need to be spoken to in, what all the nonsense that you have in your head that you've contrived makes you special, how you need to eat, the temperature of your food, all the things you've come up with that you are absolutely convinced you have to have in order for you to be a healthy and whole and well-balanced person because everybody has to drop everything to make sure you get all that. Make sure you write that book down and then see if you want to get to know you at the end of it because I know I wouldn't, but this, this is how you are getting to know your own power. And at some point you have to retire that and recognize it's, it's a big exercise in understanding the power of creation that runs through your veins and that its greatest gift is not to compete with every other molecule in the universe, but rather that you become a channel of light on behalf of everybody. Now that's a huge step because you have to retire the narcissist, but narcissism is an essential stage of maturation. So the, the inner self that you're speaking of sarcastically is the ego nature. but It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid ego. Oh, okay. All right. It's a larger-than-life ego. But when we talk about intuition, yeah. there is a conscience uh, close to the word conscious or consciousness, but conscience Conscience is organic divinity. That's the nature of God in your blood and bones. It's organic. You were born with that mechanism working. It's that inner metronome of right, wrong, good, bad. That's how the spirit in you is built. It's got its own organic divine instincts. So conscience is just built into us higher, more conscious guidance is different. It's different. That's where you're actually asking to pursue deeper questions and for guidance. But conscience is engaged 
at that, this isn't right. This is right. You don't have to ask the universe anything. It's built. It's built in. But, and I'm, I'm convinced, by the way, and just as an aside, that one of the reasons there's so much depression, so much anxiety, so much self-loathing, is like people have turned their metronome off of their conscience. And they think that whatever they want to do, because they simply, their inner self just wants to have at it, because they're unhappy, because they're entitled. I'm entitled to this. I've had a bad day. You're entitled to what? What do you think you're entitled to because you've had a bad day? But we have this idea in our society that if we've had a bad day, if we've suffered, then we're owed something. Then we're owed something. From whom, I don't know, but we're owed something. And we get to get, we get, to get away with all kinds of horrific behavior because we've suffered And that gives us permission to pass it on to other people. I've had a bad day. I can come home and yell at you. And you have to sit back if you love me and say, well, oh, I didn't know you had a bad day. Go right ahead and yell at me. Instead of getting to a place. This may be oversimplifying things. I'm asking you. It seems to me this false self uh, is mostly fear-based, if not exclusively fear-based, whereas the conscience, the higher self, the still small voice, the voice of the soul, whatever spirit in us, uh, is much more uh, love-based. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, There was a point in my life where I found myself on a particular occasion becoming very defensive, and I saw anger on the horizon approaching me (laughs) rather quickly, and frustration irritation, and I did something that I've learned to do increasingly, which is when I don't know what to say or do, I don't say or do anything. I sit down and take a breath and close my eyes and go inside. And what came up for me very clearly was, Michael, who are you defending and why do you think it needs a defense? And all of it fell away, and it's like, there's nothing I need to defend here. The self is not what's important. Understanding is what's important. I don't need to win or be right. or There's nothing about me that needs a defense. Uh, understanding is what I'm really looking for, insight and understanding. So this struggle with the sense of self, I think, is really important in people's lives. Uh, who am I really as, mm-hmm. as an individual and, and as part of the whole that you were describing before? It is totally important. The struggle with the self. And you struggle with the self because you want to know, how do I use the power that is the self? What do I do with it? The decisions you make about what you decide the self is determine how the quality of choices you make in your life. And whether or not you revere the self as something profoundly sacred, or whether or not you, you decide that the self is comprised of all its bad days in earth school, and it's just this angry, out-of-control force filled with psychic free radicals that's just zooming around in the orbit, and that you give it permission to do whatever it wants because it's angry, because it had a bad childhood. Instead of saying this self is this complex, phenomenal creature, this being that is an active agent of creation, 
And I have had numerous experiences and it is my choice how I blend these experiences, how I extract the wisdom from the woe and become, use that sage wisdom as a guide in my life. These are choices we make. These are choices we make along the line. When someone's unable to elevate themselves past the point of that, the narcissistic phase of self, when they begin to discover themselves and move beyond their own story and into blending their story into the narrative of humanity, which is essential. It's when you get to the place you think, I'm not the only one who's lost a child. I'm not the only one who has suffered. If I live in the story that I'm the only one, it gives me permission to make some really awful choices. And that's the, 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 it gives me permission to live in a way that puts me front and center, but it's not authentic and it will never be satisfying. The journey is to, to recognize I too have experienced a loss that defines the human journey and it is hard and it helps me relate to other people who have lost children and who have lost brothers and sons and husbands and daughters. Well, you're not talking about compassion, aren't you? I'm talking about whatever you want to name it. I'm talking about that larger sphere of embracing the human journey and seeing yourself as part of the human journey and not just your own. That your own story is one that is told a million times and a million ways that millions of other people have lived similar journeys. Millions of other people have had marriages and billions of others and had children and how many of our journeys are all identical. You know, it may be stretching the allegory, but what keeps coming to mind as I listen to you is the uh, loyalty, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, the sense of belonging that we have as high school students. And... You know, we root for the football team, the basketball team, and the cheerleaders are out there and the band is playing. And the kids that live, you know, 20 minutes down the road and go to another school are the enemy. (laughs) And then you go to college or university and you meet some of those same uh, kids and they become your friends. But now you're loyal to the university and it's the other university 300 miles away that becomes the enemy and then we graduate and we become americans now we're nationalists chanting usa usa number one uh but the next leap to being a global citizen or in the context you're discussing to the exclusion of nothing a member of the universe the one thing spinning around I guess that's where we're headed. The sooner we get there, the better. You know, Michael, we're at, we're, we're really at, I think, I think, the greatest turning point in the history of civilization, and that's a mouthful of words there. But if you look at the factors that are coming together that have never, ever, ever been present in the human experience before, we have never, ever had weapons of mass destruction, much less the possibility, probability that they're actually going to be used. We have never had an ecological crisis 
facing the whole planet, climate change. We have never had the oceans shifting the borders of nations or, or continents as we are now facing. So we have ecological crisis, we have climate change, we have nuclear crisis, we ha- we're going to have massive refugee crises again. And on top of all of that, we have shifting patterns in our sexuality, shifting patterns in how we, the balance of power in every single expression of life is getting undone and redone anew. Every single thing from how we understand sexuality to how we understand power to power shifting to the East, power shifting to the West, to the breakdown of the United States, to the breakdown of the British Empire. I mean, absolutely the breakdown of Europe, every, the rise of this, every single, every single notion of power. I never thought I would live to see the day that half this country thinks fascism is okay. And they don't even recognize what they're saying. They don't even get what they're saying. But it's the reshuffling of the balance of power. This is, this is to be a global community nation, which the U.S. has the potential of being. It cannot abide by these same rules of racism that have divided it for so long. Every single, the underbelly of this nation is up for grabs. The, every single thing is changing. And the potent, and, and in global pandemics, and at the same time, we've been globally, we've been wired into each other through an internet and an internet. We are now united uh, technologically, and we are, and the, the internet is actually a duplicate of how our internet works with each other. That one thought is really delivered at the speed of light into each person. That prayer works at the speed of light, that, that we have entered the age of light and light technology and, and light speed and the power of light. That is why coming to know yourself as a vessel of light power, as the power of light, requires that you understand how the laws of the universe work, the mystical laws and the physical laws. And then you brought up love. Love is not the first great power we have is choice. First, you have to choose love. First, you have to understand how powerful choice is as a mechanism itself. That whatever you choose, you set in motion, cause and effect, action and reaction, the law of sensing, the law of constant motion. That to choose love is to, is, is, is at the very beginning, people think they have to have an object to love it. They have no idea how to just experience love. To just experience that that is the breath of God. Love is the word we give to what God feels like in the human experience. That's what the power of God feels like. That's what it feels like, which is why we're so judicious. I don't know if I should love you. I don't know how much. I better be careful because we know if we let, if we let love go in its full force, it has the power to heal. It has the power to transform because it is the power of God in our hands. Well, that's a perfect place to conclude. I don't want to use the word end because, uh, you know, I, I think it's happening. I, I think part of the problem is media, whether it's mass media, news, or internet, social media, new media, doesn't really know how to report the story of the global transformation that's taking place. And it's slow, but it does have its quantum leaps. 
And it seems like those leaps often happen when it's uh, darkest, just before. The dawn. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, Carolyn, my goodness, it's a joy. I can't believe it's been so many years that it took me to get around to uh, having you on this radio program, but I really appreciate your time. And may, I, may I add one thing? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. I, I have an online class coming up in April on love, light, and law, and teaching these powers of creation and how we use them and how we should see um, how we can come to understand the power of choice. And um, I just, I want people to see, to recognize how powerful they are. Far more than just at the ego level, but at the soul level, with the substance that they're actually made of, which is light and law and love. The three L's. Yep. Well, I was going to ask you how people can uh, get more information about you. and My website, macemyss.com. CarolynMace.com? Just Mace.com will do it. Just Mace, M-Y-S-S. Dot com. We'll get you there. Okay. It's pronounced Mace. It's spelled M-Y-S-S. Yeah. And that's important to know, <laughs> especially if you go looking for Carolyn's books, which are wonderful, important additions to your library. Carolyn, thank you so much. Have a blessed day and a wonderful week. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. I want to thank my producer, Mark Brisky. Stay tuned for The Carrie Harrison Show. And make your pledge, your donation to the KPFK Fund Drive at 818-985-5735. Do it right now. Or take your browser to kpfk.org. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner. Michael Benner.